Welcome to the Sexual Mindfulness Project podcast, where we talk about creating an intentional relationship and how to find joy in slowing down, letting go of judgment, and connecting more deeply with your partner. I'm Dr. Shalom Levitt, and today I'm here with Amber Price, Rebecca Clark, and Jenna Lawler. Okay, so today we're going to talk about talking to your teens about sexuality um, and some of the topics that might come up with that. The one we're going to focus on today is is kind of basic. It's it's the foundation of really helping our teens understand their own sexuality, and that is their arousal, how they experience arousal, how they think of it, and uh, what we can do to help them maintain appropriate boundaries around how they experience arousal. Arousal is is a biological process that um, a number of different systems start responding as adolescents develop sexually. Arousal is a natural process of a number of different hormones and chemicals kicking in that indicate to adolescents that they um, are attracted to other people or that they are starting to feel more sexual. And so this is something that naturally occurs in every adolescent they will feel arousal. That's a, that's a normal part of their sexual development. You know, I think that's a key point to help adolescents understand is the normalness of it. The expected, this is part of the, the unfolding of developing, of development, and eventually one day having a, a committed sexual relationship. I think just letting adolescents know that arousal is a part of being human sexual arousal and attraction is part of a normal experience. It's part of having a healthy body, a healthy mind even. And and letting uh, adolescents know to expect it and that it's what they do with that experience, that arousal, uh, that defines who they are. And so helping them make appropriate meaning of that arousal, I think, is, is what we want to help adolescents do. I think along those lines... Um... I think sometimes we really shame arousal, especially in a religious culture. You know, you'll hear things say anything that causes arousal should be avoided and things. And so if a teenager is all of a sudden watching a show and starts to notice some arousal or something, they think they can put the shame on themselves instead of acknowledging this is a normal and natural part of your body. And like you said, Rebecca, you choose what you do with it. And I think there's a lot of power in um, acknowledging that you are a sexual being, but that you have choice in how you use it. Yeah, I really like that, Amber, how, you know, arousal, a lot of parents might feel that they want to teach their children to either suppress it or they're afraid to talk about it with their child. But when when we talk about it in a positive way, when we don't shame teens for feeling something that is completely normal and completely natural, then we can open up that conversation and really be able to, to talk to them more openly about what to do with that arousal. You know, how do we how do we help them find positive ways to kind of redirect that energy and not suppress it because that's not going to help them develop healthy attitudes towards their sexuality, right? We want them to have healthy attitudes towards themselves as, as a sexual being, but we also want them to find healthy ways to approach arousal 
and that you know you don't have to act on arousal when you feel it what are some other things you can do when you're feeling aroused that are healthy and that you know acknowledge the feeling but make it so you don't have to act on it yeah i really like that jenna i think that understanding um, first of all, that this is a biological response to be, to developing sexually is important. And then talking about, like a number of you said, talking about the meaning of arousal and, and how arousal plays a, a part in relationships, right? In, in the future, as you move towards a committed relationship, Hopefully you do feel arousal towards the person that you are going to marry. That's a really important element of this connection and bond that we feel with our spouse. And so they're just in the this beginning part of understanding this complex um, contributor to a sexual relationship. What I really like to, to always remind people is that as we are transferring our values or teaching our values to our children, um, we have to also talk about the, the biological elements of what they are dealing with. If I say to my children, uh, I don't want you to feel arousal, that's like telling my children, don't breathe. Okay, it's impossible for them to because our body just responds in uh, this way in certain circumstances. But then like Amber was talking about the example of maybe I'm watching a show and I start feeling arousal. I don't need to feel shame, but what I should do is, is be aware. Um, oh, you know, this particular show maybe had a scene that got me thinking uh, in some way that maybe it wouldn't make other people think, but for me, it did. And so I need to be aware of what prompts arousal in me and then also be aware that sometimes nothing prompts arousal and it just happens right and and we have very little control over it so then what do i do with it once i am feeling arousal how do i respond what do i make of it and i like to remind young people that here is where mindfulness can really play an important role in helping us keep our arousal within the boundaries that, that we have decided are healthy. Um, if, I, if I don't want to be intensifying my arousal and I just kind of want to sit with it, can I just be curious about my arousal? W what caused it? What does it feel like? How can I um, respond to it? So I've asked my classes a number of times, can you just sit with arousal and notice it and not actually act on it? Not tamp it down, not say, oh, I'm, I'm so embarrassed or ashamed that I'm feeling arousal, but instead just be like, huh, so this is what arousal feels like. Okay, that's, that's interesting. And as I just sit with it, it eventually subsides and eventually, you know, it'll diminish. But that, in that respect, we're getting to know ourselves. And that takes time and it takes practice. Our kids aren't going to get this right off the bat. I kind of wonder if some of this too is, um, it kind of goes back to our previous podcast in talking to kids as they're between eight and 12 and beginning to mature a little bit to kind of 
just teach them biologically what they might expect to feel so that they understand when they feel it, what that is. The, oh, this is a little bit of sexual arousal or whatever, just so that they have those tools in their mind and understand. Yeah, and maybe, maybe teaching them actually about these systems, these hormonal systems. That might be a really good way for us to help our, our kids have a better understanding of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that a lot because I think that normalizes it, takes out the kind of the shame piece that sometimes gets attached to it. But also, like Shalom said, um, that it subsides and it's like hunger. It's like feeling hunger. You know, if I'm hungry, I can sometimes feel really intensely hungry. But if I sit with my hunger for long enough, actually it will subside. And, you know, the same with with sexual arousal. And I think sexual arousal subsides faster than hunger does usually. But I, I think just helping kids understand, like, I think it's a really key point, Shalom, is to have adolescents understand just just sit with it. It will pass. It's something that um, sometimes, like you say, comes out of seemingly nowhere, but it also will kind of dissipate into into nowhere as well if you just kind of sit with it. That's good advice. Yeah, I, and I think that kind of touches on another area of research that is important for us to um, help our children understand how it relates to sexuality. Um, And in fact, Amber, this is kind of your area, but understanding sense of self, understanding who you are as a sexual being before you go out and start acting on it. We need to know ourselves and know what it means to us and how we feel when arousal or attraction occurs and what is that going to what is that going to prompt in our life you know what kind of commitments what kind of behavior uh, and so really helping our kids thoroughly digest what sexual development means in their life that's not a one time conversation that's a process of a kind of unfolding as they learn who they are themselves. I was just reading some research yesterday um, that was kind of along those lines and talking about teens and young adults raised in a religious community and that those who did feel that sense of sexual agency did so much better in long-term relationships after marriage when they could say, I recognize this piece of me, this sexual part of me, and I'm not going to be afraid of it or shamed by it. I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to choose for myself that I want to use this in a way, you know, live the law of chastity or choose to not be sexual until after I'm married or things like that. When they had ownership in that, they did so much better in the long term. And I think that that's a powerful message. You know, that brings up um, that kind of idea of ownership or responsibility uh, makes me think of the importance of talking to adolescents about the opposite gender and teaching adolescents, what does the opposite genders experience when they experience arousal? Because so much of it um, overlaps for boys and girls, um, but some of it doesn't anatomically, some of it looks different. And I think uh, teaching them not to be scared of that, giving them an awareness of that is really important. And because I think that helps teach that kind of responsibility piece that everyone's responsible for their own arousal, including you, 
you know, and, you know, you are responsible for your own and so-and-so is responsible for his or her own, but, but letting kids know what that is. I think there are just so many myths out there about, well, if a boy gets aroused, it's, you know, incredibly painful. And, and so you wouldn't want to do that to a boy and just dispelling some of those myths, um, I think is important for kids so that they can take responsibility for their own, for their own responses. Yeah, and I think that that will also dispel some of the the negative messages around um, responsibility. For example, that you know a boy just can't control himself, and somehow that's the girl's problem. That's just absolute nonsense. He absolutely can control himself just as she can, and uh, if if they choose to do something, then it's both of them choosing to do it. And uh, so that's, we need to be able to talk to our children openly about that so that they can start understanding their part in sexual relationships and not feel the shame or guilt of messages that other people give them. You know, talking about arousal is a really important topic to prepare adolescents for healthy relationships in marriage. And it's going to open up that parent-child communication and give them the opportunity to discuss these topics, which they might not feel comfortable approaching their parents about. But when a parent is able to talk about the subject with their adolescent, when they're able to talk about arousal and give them these, you know, the differences between male and female responses and what to do with arousal when you feel it, that's really going to help them transition into marriage instead of the overnight switch of, you know, I feel shame about this, and then all of a sudden it's okay. But if you're having these conversations with them, you're normalizing the arousal response, and you're helping them learn how to, you know, kind of redirect that right now, but still give them that positive sense of their sexual selves, then they're going to have a much easier time transitioning into marriage. And they're not going to feel that shame going into their marriage. And hopefully they're going to make safer, healthier decisions as a teenager. And they're going to, you know, take more responsibility for their sexuality. They're going to care when they express it more because it has more meaning to them. So they might not, they might not be eager to, to become sexually active as a teenager because they understand the importance that they hold for their sexuality. Yeah, I think that's really an important point. I think research shows us that that adolescents who have good relationships with their parents um, and have these open dialogues about sexuality, so certainly about arousal and all of the other things that are happening to their bodies at this time, those are the children um, or the teenagers that are going to be more empowered to make good choices and most likely to adopt their parents' values, right? So if we're trying to help our our teenagers slow down actually acting on their sexual development, then the best way for us to do that is to have these open conversations where we talk about the details of this. So they understand themselves, they understand how to um, kind of maintain these boundaries that we're, that we're talking about, and we give them good tools like practice mindfulness or maybe go for a run, distract yourself, or, you know, come talk to me and let's, let's openly discuss, you know, what it is that you're experiencing. Those sorts of activities are going to 
empower our children to be able to maintain the standards that that we've set as a family um, or that we're hoping that our our teenagers will adopt without creating any of the shame and extra baggage that could come along with only focusing on these strict rules. Um, Instead, we give them some real, uh, a real foothold for how to actually maintain uh, these boundaries that we're talking about. The other point I wanted to bring up before we finish is I want to go back to what Rebecca said about teaching, you know, our, our boys about girls and our girls about boys, making sure that our kids have a complete understanding of how people experience um, sexuality and their sexual development. Not only does that give us a compassion for each other, but um, I think it's I think it's just important that we start understanding that sexual expression happens within a relationship, within a relationship that's committed and loving. And so it's so important that not one parent is entirely responsible for having these conversations. If it's only mom that ever talks about sex with both her boys and girls, that's going to be problematic. Our kids get this lopsided perspective on what sex looks like and and the meaning that it has in a relationship. So it's so helpful. It's not It's not going to be able to be both mom and dad every single conversation, but often it could be, and it could be mom one time and dad another time. And so both parents take responsibility for really educating our kids about their own development, but then also our values that we adhere to um, in, in a sexual relationship. You know, just one last kind of thought in teaching kids about meaning of arousal, that is, it's hugely important to normalize um, the fact that you feel aroused or you feel something toward another person does not mean that this is the person that you are supposed to marry or um, hook up with or spend the rest of your, you know, life with or whatever. Just normalizing that, I think that can be really confusing, especially um, with so many kind of questions surrounding gender that, that adolescents face now that, um, you know, if I feel sexually aroused looking at, you know, whatever it is I'm looking at or whatever it is I'm experiencing, what does that mean about me? I guess I'm just echoing again, along what you said, but it can, it can arise from a lot of places and sometimes from nowhere and sometimes trying to, trying to give that some sort of weight or meaning. Um, sometimes it's not very meaningful, honestly, it's just your body responding to whatever it's responding to and and letting kids know that 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 it's something that can pass and and we don't need to dive in and think I you know I now need to spend all of my time pining after so and so that arousal alone does not mean that's uh, someone I should try to make a relationship with yeah that's a really good point there are so many systems here that we're talking about and and our children are so new to this that the thing that is is always a little sad to me that at this time when our kids are pretty fragile and and life is so new to them because these increases in hormones uh, and changes in their bodies literally change their brain so they have to relearn how to interact with other people how to feel about themselves Um, you know, how to create relationships. All of these things are so new to them. 
And often because they're also going through a lot of emotional turmoil, this is when parents pull away or it's when children pull away and we let them. Uh, This is actually when our kids need us so critically. And uh, it's important for us to keep a number of tethers to them. You know, let's talk about this topic, but let's also just go out and play ball or go for a hike or, you know, talk about some other interests or watch a show. Find lots of ways to connect with our kids so that these conversations are healthy and comfortable and, uh, and they're willing to participate in them. That will help us have the healthiest children and they will be able to navigate these sometimes, you know, turbulent waters uh, with a little more grace and uh, a little more knowledge. They'll be able to do things intentionally instead of being driven by just their biological urges or by what their peers are doing at the time. That's it for this week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sexual Mindfulness Project. And subscribe to our website, shalomlevitt.com, to stay up to date with the latest information on sexual mindfulness. Thanks for listening.